of episode 168 of Friends of Film, where you bring lace movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is Dumbo. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Wood, and this week I'm joined by Josh Draley. Hello, everybody. Hello, Cooper. And hello to the haters. I have now seen Pulp Fiction. Oh. Like, all the way through. You finished it. I finished it. And? It's good. It's in ways that, like, I really have a hard time explaining. Uh-huh. Because there's not a whole lot to it. It's it, 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 And it's really... I believe Quentin Tarantino showing off how good of a writer he is. Yeah. In all of those ways. Cause there's, it's just bursts of violence in like four or five different points, uh, all the way through. But what it really is, is people just muttering and murmuring, I icon- not muttering, but like shouting iconic lines at each other and to others across the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. In all of those ways. And I'm like, yeah, we get it. Quentin, you're really great at keeping me interested in stupid things like that <laughs> opening with like just the conversation back and forth between right. Travolta and um, Sam Jackson. And that moves all the way through everything else. Um, obviously, though, things get hilarious when the wolf shows up after they have accidentally shot the guy in the back of the vehicle. Uh-huh. Um, I forget who's, who's playing him. The wolf is not Quentin Tarantino? No, that's Jimmy. He's oh, just okay. the guy at the. Uh, Who am I thinking of then? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out right here, and I can't think of his name. <laughs> but he's very iconic, suave. Looks like he's the Godfather, but he's not the Godfather. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, it beats me too. Jeez. Uh, um. Wins. Oh, it's Harvey Keitel. That's yeah, what I Harvey thought. Keitel. Thank you. Perfect in every way. Um. And so, yeah, all about it. it was terrific. I'm glad to finally put it behind me um so don't think that i didn't see the jab that you took at me uh on our twitter page I, yep i'll update bio. it <laughs> but um our twitter page folks is at friends and film and you can follow us there for the latest updates on the movies that we're taking a look at trailers um and just random insights into what we have and have not seen yeah. Um, but if you're looking for the movies we have seen and have reviewed and are talking about and looking forward to, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts can be found to find our episodes there. And if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. That will ultimately help rank us, and then we can find more friends of the show. That's right. So we are here to review Dumbo this week, the 2019 live-action remake from Disney and Tim mm-hmm. Burton. Before we get to that... yeah. Uh, you mentioned before that it was a busy week for you watching some new movies. I, Other than the yes. Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to let the viewer or let the listeners know about? I jumped on The Highwayman, oh, okay. the new Netflix movie with Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. Mm-hmm. It's good. Like, well executed. Um, the story is easy to follow. It's mm-hmm. not just like mad dash guns all across the place. There's something I'm still writing on it. I think I will have something up on Monday for you, okay, everyone. But it it, it sounds like it's going to be a guns blazing movie, but it turns into two different directions, all while keeping with the historical accuracy of Bonnie and Clyde's last few days on the uh-huh. run. And it, I highly recommend it. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Uh, Woody Harrelson is fantastic. Kevin's definitely getting old though. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Um, but then I revisited it and Get Out. Uh, Get Out being even better my third time watching it, especially after like keying in on all of Jordan's, uh-huh. um, all the subtle things yeah. that go on in that movie for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, this week it was more I've in the middle of my MCU rewatch. So mm. ahead of Endgames, I watched, uh, let's see, Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, and, or no, Iron Man 3 was last week. I watched Thor the Dark World and Captain America the Winter Soldier. Um, Thor Dark World just gets, I think, a little worse every time I watch it. And then Captain America the Winter Soldier just stays as mm-hmm. magnificent as it has every time I watch it. Uh, but I also rewatched the original Dumbo for the first time in probably 20 years. Oh, yeah. I don't know, since I was a kid. And uh, it was a lot. Like, I remember, like, you know, the, the, the pink elephants and mm-hmm. um, some of the other things. Psychedelic. That, psychedelic stuff that happens it. in there. Um, but I didn't realize just, like, how kind of insane the movie was. Uh, and like, uh, how it like, like it changes the size of the elephants throughout. So like at one point, like at some points they're just like regular sized elephants and other points they're like these towering dinosaur like level, like beans that are like just towering over everything around them. 
Why would and that be? I don't know. I think maybe it's just like for the scale because they're like you know doing tricks and stuff in the circus. And mm-hmm. It's like look how like giant these things are, but like they just looked massive. Is it like shifting perspectives from like Dumbo to the elephants? Yeah, I mean kind of. So maybe that's what it is. But it was just like it was, intimidation. It was kind of weird huh. that way. Um, but also like I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that the reason that they go on this like purple uh, elephant trip is because. Dumbo and the mouse are drunk. Totally forgot about that. Totally forgot about the somewhat racist crows that are in the movie. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, did not, I was like, wow, okay. This is happening? That kept coming up all the time. Um, and just people kind of like recounting uh-huh. things like tweets about this. And I'm like, I don't remember this, these crows things. So I pulled up the clip on YouTube and I'm like, dear Lord, yeah. that is awful. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. And I was like, okay, this is where we're at. And then I was like, all right, but... So even though the movie's not like great, I was like, oh, but like now I'm a little more interested to see like a Tim Burton take on this story because like I can see mm-hmm. how like the original end movie kind of dives into like darker, um, like kind of almost like not like totally terrifying imagery, but like imagery that like as a child I probably would be like, oh, that's like that's kind of scary. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, like he can like Tim Burton can bring his gothic style to the to the live action movie and give us something I think like a pretty faithful adaptation, just like fleshes out the story by adding more human characters and stuff. And so when I saw the movie on like Friday night, um, I was just like kind of split. I was just like, I mean, it it's here. I saw it. It exists. But it didn't really leave an impression on me. It exists. What a yeah, review. I know. It's just, But it's like, it's so just like middle of the road. I feel like it starts with more of like a traditional live action, you know, Disney remake style of like, here's the circus. It's fun. And there's familial themes. And then it eventually divulges into something like completely else about like capitalism and uh, a whole bunch of other t- different topics. And the f- familial themes kind of get lost in there. Mm-hmm. And there are certain aspects to the characters that they really like put a focus on, especially with the, the uh, Colin Farrell's daughter in the movie uh, that really have no payoff whatsoever. They're just like, like you're really, you spent like 15 minutes making sure I know that this is part of her character mm-hmm. and there's never, it never does anything. And I'm just like, I don't know what you're doing here. Um, and I, the pacing is pretty slow. I, there are, there are some like, you know, generally like good moments to it. Like when Dumbo does fly, especially the first time it's like, yeah. yes, like, the amazement is here. Like they deliver on that, like really iconic moment from the animated movie. Um, and I think that's kind of the struggle with these live action adaptations is you have to strike that balance between giving people what they know, what they're coming to expect to a certain degree, but then also giving them something new. Um, and I just felt like the, all the new aspects to the Dumbo story in this version, uh, it just didn't really add a lot to the final product. I mean, Colin Farrell's fine. Uh, Eva Green's like, her accent kind of unnecessary. Don't know why she had a laid on so <laughs> thick. And then Michael Keaton hate to say it. Uh, he was just kind of bad in this movie and all over the place. And I just didn't really like his, I obviously don't like his character. He's the villain of the movie, but like sure. his performance, I just found kind of off putting, I guess. And so it just really didn't land with me. I, I still think it's like, you know, well-made from a technical perspective and everything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are those like moments where I'm like kind of engaged in the story or, you know, Dumbo storyline, but it's it's really more almost about the Farrier family than it is Dumbo. Um, so I'm gonna give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five. Okay, it's fine, really, but it's it's nothing special. I would love to hear you talk more about um, why Michael Keaton's uh, V. A. Vanderive mm-hmm. Vanderive. That's not, I, I think so. Okay, yeah, um, or Vandevere. There we go. Uh, why he was so off putting. It was just, I don't know, he was just, like, too cartoony for me. Like, obviously, he is, like, the evil mustache-twirling, you know, corporate man who's trying to, like, bring everything under his own dream dreamland amusement park thing he's building. Mm-hmm. But, like, he just, he just, he, he was just too over the top for me. I was like, he doesn't fit the rest of this movie, and maybe that's because he's just like, oh, I've worked with Burton before, I know the style he's going for. But then the movie's not, like, fully Burtonized. And but Keaton definitely was, so it just felt like he was almost in like a different movie. And so, and every time he comes in, he's like, "Hey guys, I'm here to do my crazy Michael Keaton thing." I'm just like, "Stop! Like, you're not. This is not the movie that like you're not working with everything else that's happening. Like, your relationship with Eva Green's character wasn't working. Uh, the like, I don't know, just nothing for me was working with Michael Keaton. 
Okay, really? I mean, well, I find that really surprising because Keaton really, he actually worked for me. This was the first time I've seen him be anything remarkably loony or be in something so um, of and beyond itself since Batman, Mm -hmm. really. And maybe a little bit, you could argue, in um, uh, Kyrion's Bird or Birdman, right? No. Uh, Yeah. Whoever. whoever Birdman. Birdman. Alfonso Um, Cron. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, And. For for me, that was terrific. That was awesome. That was fun. Um, it's just letting loose um, across, you know, the film, and that's kind of like what I expected this to be. Especially once you get to Dreamland, where everything is so heightened and over the top. Like we're introduced to the um, the Medici brothers' circus, and it's like it's it's like a ragtag establishment that's trying to play the hits or like do their thing mm-hmm. to some slowly failing success. And when you get to Dreamland and you see like what it takes to thrive and succeed and who's the quote unquote mad genius to kind of get that up and running, it's all about that. But like in Dumbo as a whole, I really enjoyed it uh, like a lot of ways. And like it's it's Tim Burton kind of finally like he's crossing like a family threshold where he's giving you all of these positive and light notes throughout most of it. And then he's like, a river of darkness goes underneath this movie because I did not expect anyone to be accidentally murdered and or be manslaughtered by Dumbo's mom, Jumbo, which I kept laughing at the entire movie because I'm just like, I don't know, is that the origi- her original name? Jumbo, yeah. Yeah. He's Jumbo Jr. Okay. Uh, my favorite part about the whole naming process, uh, aspect of the movie was that uh, instead of just calling him Dumbo, as mm-hmm. the kids referred to him as, uh, many of them would just re- repeatedly call him Big D. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, this, is, this is happening? <laughs> okay. Uh, but, it, like, that was, I don't know, like, he, he is, he, I think he successfully combined something that, we all take it face value. It's ultra sweet and, um, you know, like huggable and lovable. And then puts like this really dark undercurrent of like what's just beneath the surface of like all of these things we love. And so on a movie and like on a grand wide scale, I think it does it perfectly. Dumbo himself, herself, itself. Himself. Himself. Yes. Okay. I think. Is, is positively perfect. Um, there is... His those eyes are so expressive and teary, and then they're just like they the way they like I don't want to say the word um <laughs> the way they moisten and like you, know, <laughs> you just like well up and you're like oh my gosh it is looking at the cutest thing on screen that we will probably see all year absolutely phenomenal well let's wait to see what Lion King has in store <laughs> okay okay I can't think of anything that would be that cute though I don't know Baby Simba's pretty cute. Baby Simba is kind of cute. That's I for mean, sure. but Dumbo, Dumbo's pretty cute too. Uh, and you know, all and all the way through, um, you get you care about this little elephant's well-being all the way through. And I thought that was like those were the stakes as much as like you're rooting for the Farrier family to take care of Dumbo and the uh, Medici brother circus extras all the way across. And yeah, that that swept me up in it, and I was totally about it. Um, if anything, it does get really bland, um, you know. Right, just as the Manish, or just as the Medici brother circus gets bought up and swept up by Dreamland, and so some of those things are just like, okay, this is kind of tedious, and I don't need to know all of the undercurrents here. But other than that, I really don't have too many complaints about it. Um, so, with all that said, I would give it four out of five ticket stubs. Okay, so. Uh, all on board for it. All right, so let's, I mean, jump into spoilers, I guess, for Dumbo, um, if if we need to, uh, but just so we have, you know, free reign to talk about anything um, else we need to touch on. One mm-hmm. thing that I was reminded of as you were talking was um, the comedy in the movie. Did, did, did it work for you at all? It's dark. It's, yeah. It, it was fun. Like, I, I giggled and enjoyed it, like, a few times. Like, you know, like, oh, okay, that's, that's you know, it's like Disney kid jokes uh-huh. that have just some dry wit to them as well. Yeah. So it wasn't I, for everybody, but I'm like, I could appreciate the attempt here. Like you're trying to get someone trying to make you, trying to make you laugh. And so you're like, all right, I'll give you credit for that. Like uh, with like a little <laughs> bit of an eye roll. Yeah. I was definitely given uh, some eye rolls, especially for Danny DeVito. Like I just felt like <laughs> every line he would just get like that one second, like pause just mm-hmm. to, like, so let everybody laugh, and I was like, but nobody's laughing. So I was just like, this is just like kind of a little awkward. Um, and 
they set up the movie with the Medici brothers as the Medici brothers. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Are we going to get a dual Danny DeVito performance here? Mm-hmm. This is going to be incredible. And then they just pulled the rug out from me and said, well, there was never a Medici brothers. It was always just DeVito acting like he had a second. I was like, oh man, that, was, that, <laughs> that would have been so cool. That would have been, that would, that was the funniest part for me, I think, um, is that reveal. Yeah. <laughs> And just like it's like and it just underscores the whole like all of this is really fake here, folks, mm-hmm. or everything like that. So it's just like Ringley Brothers, Medici Brothers, like you know, like they're all trying to like you know have their own graft or graft right. or whatever the case is. Um, but I mean, what else is there really to say? I don't know. Um, along with I'll give you the give you credit on Ava Green, who terrific in the yeah. movie, um, especially like her performances with Dumbo. I, w- I was very happy. They like, I was just waiting for the inevitable, like her and Colin Farrell make out and it never happened. I was like, okay. They showed some restraint there. I mm-hmm. thought he was definitely just going to be like, Hey, here's this like really attractive girl that I, the first girl I basically meet after I come back from war, mm-hmm. lost my wife. And now here she is with one arm. <laughs> right. Which is something that was interesting too. Colin Farrell always plays like a wounded character, like uh-huh. physiologically or, or, you know, uh, but never physically. Yeah. And so like when he like turned around or not turned around, but like, like you know, on all the marketing, he's standing at one side. So uh-huh. you can't see what the deal is here. And then as soon as I noticed his arm was gone, I'm like that guy only has one <laughs> arm. And I, I don't know. I found that hilarious. There, there was, there was one moment where he, cause he, he gets like a fake fluff arm mm-hmm. uh, to wear around. And there's one point when he, it falls off and they show a reaction shot of Eva Green's character. And she seems surprised to learn that it was a fake arm. And I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> I thought this was pretty clearly that he only had one arm. Right. Like, I don't know. Maybe he was just like, oh, I'm just only doing stuff with my right hand so mm-hmm. nobody notices. But, like, it still just looks like a gray mitt. <laughs> like, I don't know. There's like one of those like, what, what was the point of that? What was, mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening here. It was an interesting cutaway. That's for sure. Um, but, like, the grand, like the, the thing that I found most interesting, though, um, especially with Tim Burton, like, being behind the rings of this movie is sort of how, like, he – and ultimately being produced by Disney is like what he seems to kind of like flip the bird at the, the, yeah. um, in the final uh, third act mm-hmm. because dreamland is this like mega carnival with places like, I mean like where you can see clear Disney homages mm-hmm. to the magic kingdom um, and Epcot and all of these places. Like there's a, there's a rocket world, some kind of like, there's like a future yeah, there's place. Rip-off, like Tomorrowland and yep. Uh, there's the science center or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, and then that uh, like haunted like animal house thing. Right. I don't remember what it was called. And you're like, you, it is very clear that this is like a dark twisted version of Disney world. And the Mendici brothers circus has been bought out by them and like swept up into this huge thing. And by the end of it, you are watching Dumbo or not Dumbo, but like basically the, the Medici brothers and the old gang like level the place to the ground. Well, right. well, not them like specifically. It's all accidental and like a breakout. But um, by trying to break free, they lit this place on fire and it burns to the ground. And that's like that is so clearly like a like you know I don't know if a jab, but like a stand-in for Disney Corp. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like yeah, because. Uh... Well, what's Michael Keaton's person's name? The Vandeveer? Because mm-hmm. Vandeveer, yeah, like Dreamland is acquiring all these other properties to fill out and make his establishment the must, like the must see place to go. And like that's basically what Disney has done for the last decade. I mean, mm-hmm. before we started recording, we were talking about the process of them buying Marvel and then how that led them to buy Lucasfilm. And now they've just bought Fox and they, they're just adding all of these assets. And it's just like, it's just so weird because the movie like does this and then, you know, uh, Max Medici, Danny DeVito's character, he just like is like, all right, here's your new job. Your secretary will tell you when you have things, uh, but don't ask any questions. Just sit in this office and then, oh, by the way, go tell your employees that we said we we're going to bring over here that they're all fired. And it's just like, wow, this is like there's so many like Fox Disney mm-hmm. like themes playing here and i was like what is happening yeah just as well as we're getting stories from fox employees uh who are like no one's told us anything we have no idea we're waiting for the shoes to drop now you know across like all of their properties and that's like so i don't know prescient Mm -hmm. in so many ways i think the fox disney deal was already 
in the works by the time Dumbo began its production late last year, but or early last year, I should say. So all of that to say, though, um, it was hard not to watch that entire Vandiver plot and think and not think of like Bob Iger, Kevin Feige, Disney, mm-hmm. everything like that. So actually, uh, Dumbo started filming in the spring of 2017. So it was six to nine months before the Disney Fox deal was completed. And I think those negotiations only started like the summer of 2017. Okay. Wow. So they're ahead of the timeline, which just mm-hmm. makes it all the more like interesting. <laughs> right. That like that, that's how this plays out. Because then, cause then it, obviously I think it raised that question of, well, like I don't think Tim Burton's obviously going for this like shot at Disney like this overtly. But then like just as the real world events kind of transpired, it just became like more and more like just it just kind of became part of the movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, but the, the, the idea of like all of these small places getting gobbled yes. up like amazon was doing this at that time um as well as yeah, i'm trying to think of another streaming giant but netflix probably I mean, po- really just poaching yeah projects and directors mm-hmm. more than anything else but it's very clearly something like that about monopolies entertainment and things like that right um and that was just a really jumped out of me i mm-hmm. couldn't think of that i can't think of dumbo now as anything other than that other than like dumbo himself right <laughs> i was i mean on the opposite side of the spectrum, kind of opposite of capitalism or thing that uh, like the movie, like is pretty clearly like it has those familial themes as well about mm-hmm. like separation from your parents and, you know, a divided family and all this stuff. And I felt like that kind of aspect of the movie kind of fell by the wayside as the movie progressed and then turned into this, like, you know, whether it was planned or not, this, this Disney commentary, yeah. um, which I was kind of not, I wasn't turned off by, but I was just more like confused of why, the movie chose this route because I feel like Dumbo at its core is a movie that like can really speak to like embracing the oddities of yourself to then achieve something greater. Like, you know, yeah, you have Dumbo has big ears, but he's the only elephant that can fly. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like like that's cut. And then like, there's the whole circus helmet to it as well of all these people like, you know, being ridiculed. And maybe as I was, I was expecting something more, um, more, I don't know, uh, clear as like the greatest showman like that was clearly like their message of like just like be yourself like embrace who you are um I mean, they have the this is me song that's like was the, was the anthem of this whole thing and so maybe i was expecting some of that with dumbo and maybe that's my own fault but i was kind of surprised that we kind of lost sight of this like whole familial theme and there wasn't like as direct of parallels between well the kids lost their mom now they're with their dad and then dumbo lost it was separated from his mom and Mm -hmm. had no idea what was up with his dad or whatever. So I thought there'd be more like connection there. And it was, there wasn't, which kind of made like, like, was that part of the script at one point or was that just like, it can't just be a coincidence that (laughs) the movies, two kids also have like lost their parents. Like, Mm -hmm. so I don't, maybe that just got lost in the cutting room floor or something, but I don't know. I felt like that was an aspect that needed, more development in this movie yeah yeah you do there is a bond between the children and dumbo that is la- like there are loose threads there yeah um for sure and like you said like those parallels between like oh that he's orphaned in a way they've been they're not orphaned but yeah there's there's a missing there's a missing part of them mm-hmm. and so they like like that those parts do come together um but like i guess the the tying up of that is just that they get their family back, which is the circus, and Dumbo, um, by being at Dreamland, gets his mom back yeah. after finding out that she's been bought as an exhibit to, yeah. show, to show off a killer elephant. That, 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 that was, yeah, that was pretty convenient, too, oh. but I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to dock Dumbo for that. He got tied which, up somehow. Which leads to the uh, leads to the breakout and the downfall yeah. of Dreamland. But, uh, yeah, no, the movie was written by um, uh, Enrin Kruger, who, like, does really dark i mean he's written horror like the ring films hmm. um of all movies so it's definitely a turn and and he wrote ghost in the shell hmm. yeah absolutely so there, there's some different ideas there like you know like coming into this like first time script yeah um for disney i guess so yeah first with disney but yeah he's been writing scripts since you know the early 2000s it's definitely something that i would not have expected to see especially in these like age of remakes mm-hmm uh, live action remakes, but you got to have a director 
who does live action movies. Right. And Tim Burton has been working with Disney now. For, this what? is his second one. Th- or he technically produced the Alice yeah, in, yeah. Uh, the second Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So um, on those notes, though, I mean, he's turning into something, I think something a little bit more crowd pleasing. Um, and, but not, and that really kind of exhausts what I have. Is there All any right. notes on Dumbo that the, the only other thing I would jumped on? Uh, to mention was just what I alluded to before uh, about the about the girl. Oh yeah, like it was the scientist aspect. She's like, I'm a scientist. I'm gonna be a scientist. I'm a mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna be a circus person. I'm gonna be a scientist. I'm like, okay, like what is she gonna like invent or do that like shows why she has this drive? And there's not there's no there's, there's no moment of that. And I was like, that's like pretty disappointing because like I liked that like aspect of her where it's like i'm not gonna like follow in like the family footsteps just mm-hmm. because like that's what's expected of me like i'm going to go above and beyond embrace who i am and dive into science and i was just waiting for something to be like and here's her scientific breakdown of how they can like do this or whatever or yeah, how right this is how dumbo could fly like okay well if eva green's getting on we're adding this amount of weight if you do this 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 like that's what he has to do to fly with her on his back just give her like a moment like that or something. And then, so they didn't other than like, she's just like sitting in the science building at the very, like near the end. Uh, and I was just like, I don't know. Like it just, it kind of not struck me the wrong way, but I was just like, what was the point of like so much emphasis on this? If there's no payoff. Right. There's just like a precociousness that, um, that she's got other than anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's really it. I mean, yeah, it, it's fine. Uh, I mean, you, really enjoyed it. So I really enjoyed Will it. you be watching it again? I, I probably won't be watching it again. But, um, I mean, if it's on, it's on, but it's mm-hmm. not something I'm going to go out of my way for. You're not going to like, buy it or anything? It's not something you need to own? I don't, it's not something I need to own. No. All right. So, that brings us to an end of our Dumbo review. Uh, again, I give two and a half ticket stubs out of five. Josh gives it four ticket stubs out of five. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and so i start with our three main topics this week starting off with an mcu casting edition uh according to thr angelina jolie is in talks to be the first cast member of the eternals directed by chloe zhao there's no word on who she will be playing yet but she's an oscar winner she is familiar with disney after maleficent she's going to be maleficent the mistress of evil at the end of this year josh angelina jolie in the mcu uh this is pretty big that is i mean if you're going to throw away not throw away retire a bunch of big names you could be bringing in some big names right mm-hmm. andrew julie is perfect for this this is awesome like yeah. she's terrific and she has not been acting in anything like super eccentric lately mm-hmm. arguably other than maleficent other than maleficent and like and then she directed that one movie with her and brad pitt um that like nobody saw and then she's just been voicing kung fu panda movies I'm like that's it her and brad pitt I think what? so. I think it's her and Pitt. Post-breakup? I think it was like on the verge of their breakup. Oh, snap. And it, it was like the last thing that uh, That's crazy. That they did together. I did not know about that. But yeah, like she's been kind of waiting in the wings for something big and like a starring role. Mm-hmm. And if she is indeed joining the Eternals in like a hero role, that is crazy. And that's going to be, I think this is going to be the best casting pickup for their new post-Endgame wave. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's it's huge on, I think, a number of levels because, obviously, Jolie is that kind of actor where, I mean, yes, she's done like she's done it all. She's done the Oscar-winning turns. She's done the action lead with Tomb Raider and stuff. She's been the, the romantic. It just She's literally like, just ran through everything over the last several decades. Um, but she's also always seemed like, like that type of actress who was, like, too big for a comic book movie, especially, like, a, a Marvel movie. Like, I never thought, I was like, yeah, Angelina Jolie would be great to, like, be in the MCU, but I, I expected her to be like a like a side character, like oh she'll be like the head of sword or something. And she'll like be like the new Nick Fury mm-hmm. and like pop up every couple years, have to film for like a week tops, and like that's it, and she gets her giant paychecks. But like if she's the first casting edition for the Eternals, that leads me to believe that this is like a lead role, which is like shocking. Like I never would have thought that. Same here. Yeah, and that's a really great point. It's like when you try to envision like 
Matt Damon like in an MCU movie like um <laughs> yeah. no I don't think so but it works when he pops up as like a, a random actor right. in a play or Robert Redford yes um like you can you can picture those things and be like oh that makes sense right come right. in do some excellent work and then you're out and even even in the case of Robert Redford it's like that's a bigger role than I would anticipate like Angelina Jolie taking but it's a one film it's a one and done like I'm the villain yeah and I'm out which is why I'm like as soon as I saw this I'm like oh should be perfect for some kind of space villain and then. You're, they don't cast. You realize you don't. They don't cast villains. No. This early. And on. I think. And the villain is going to be Druig, who's a male. So unless they're going against the casting breakdowns that are out there and our genders flopping, gender switching that, like, which fine with not. It's, it's possible, but at the, but even better if she's a main character. Right. She's a part of these Eternal team, but I don't know the Eternals team. Uh huh. Who could she be? Does this fit? Is it, does it work? So. That's the interesting thing because in in terms of the casting breakdowns that are uh, have been have surfaced for the Eternals, there are like four main, uh, well, there's five main female roles. One of them is for a teenager who, fingers crossed, goes to Millie Bobby Brown. That's just what I'm pulling for because she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is this character who's called Karen, but that's just like a cover for something like a different name that nobody knows what it is. Um, and that character. Her description is like she needs to be powerful and like like have the the essence of a god and like time like just like all all of these qualities that are like so like it seems like perfect like description of Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. But then the the breakdown said they're going for either a Native American, a person of color, um, or so, or something else. I don't remember what the other the third option was, but it's like it wasn't. It wouldn't fit, and it was going early 30s, so it wouldn't fit with Angelina Jolie. Hmm. And so then it, le- it, really, it really takes us down to three options. Um, one is Cersei, who's in most Eternals comics, like the lead uh, female character who has all these great powers. She's had like a flirtation with Tony Stark in the past. Um, she loves, other, um, which it, what separates her from the other Eternals is that she likes to actually live among humans huh. whereas other eternals are like no get us away from these people who are like so like much lesser than we are that's interesting um so i think she could play that because cersei also kind of has this time this um not, is it timeliness or unt- like she has this uh quality where she's like out of not out of time but she's just like she can last for decades like she's just always she's perfect no matter where she is i don't know if i'm making any sense perfect no matter where she is yeah a um a okay a uh, i don't know what the word is but very well adaptable i'm gonna say adaptable i don't i don't know what i'm okay. saying i don't know what i'm sure. saying but yeah like cersei has she's like she loves high society and all that kind of stuff um and so i think that's probably the best like that's the most likely option because like mm-hmm. if jolie is doing this and she's the first casting addition. It makes sense for her to be like the female lead of the franchise now and moving forward. Um, there's this other character called Thena who is like a warrior uh, who's also uh, the daughter of the grandfather of Thanos, I think, uh, which would make th- like she's crazy powerful. But also in recent comic runs, she is a mother and then she's also a love interest in some ways to the main uh male character icarus and Mm. i could honestly that was where my mind first went with jolie because i mean she's uh she's got like tons of children and like that adoption is a very big part of like her life and so i was like maybe they'd go with like that angle and like channel her motherhood uh with thena and then give her like this like kick butt warrior Mm. role to you know flip that around sure um, and the other ones, there's this character named Elisis, uh, who's like this AI program, and I don't, I just don't see that being the fit for Jolie. So it's either between like Cersei or Thena. Yeah, that Cersei. Well, either it was really interesting. You made both points there. Like both of those characters sound incredibly empathetic mm-hmm. to like human race or or something or yes. whatever they're at or with, and that's very much Jolie. Mm-hmm. Um, her that's her persona, and so having a character in the MCU that sort of picks up and plays with you know those aspects that we already come to associate with her and her brand i hate that word <laughs> but you know like that idea like that was that's almost like a perfect piece to fit into the the, the big new marvel puzzle mm-hmm. um and either way it's terrific just to see the headline with angelina jolie mcu right well and it's also i think great for marvel's perspective of like at, like you mentioned just moments ago like you have no idea who the eternals are really mm-hmm. 
and you that is the same with basically 99.5% of the po- Earth's population probably. Like there's a, there's a very small group who know the Eternals, uh, have heard of them before and like but you need to like obviously the Marvel brand is going to sell a certain amount of tickets no matter what cuz Marvel the Marvel Cinematic Universe has a pretty large fan base at this point. But also if you can put out your first poster and it's Angelina Jolie's face front and center, you're like, "Oh, Marvel, Angelina Jolie, that must mean good things. I'm going to go see that movie. Especially when you're diving in. Yeah, that's a really good point. The way you have name ID on your on this new property mm-hmm. without having to, you know, cast someone that's totally out of the blue and sell it. Right. Because like, this isn't like a, exactly like a Guardians of the Galaxy situation, even though it's going to be an ensemble team. Mm-hmm. Like the difference between like semi-ripped, you know, Chris Pratt fresh off of Parks, Parks and Rec versus... Angelina Jolie in the the prime of her career, like that's a world difference right there. It, it, it is a world difference, but it also is the same though because we have come to know and love Chris Pratt. Yeah, and there's, I mean, plus so you take that that lovability with the Marvel brand, you attach those two things, and you get five hundred million dollars box office, right? Is that what it was six seven hundred million for what Guardians? Guardians made like eight eight okay forty yeah. or something. Terrific numbers. You do that with this next one, and then you fill out this ensemble cast mm-hmm. with a few others. You're looking at something really good. Yeah, I mean, if they get movie by Brown like I want, if they get Keanu Reeves to be the villain as oh, I want, uh, we're we're looking very good for the Eternals. His his time is coming soon. I I can feel it. And there, and I think a lot of this also has to go to Chloe Zhao being the director, who's kind of broke on the scene last year with the writer and people really want to work with her. It seems like so That's true. That's true. Uh, Angelina Jolie being on here. And there's also the aspect of there are reports that Eternals will feature the first uh, gay lead character in an MCU movie with most people expecting to be Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angelina Jolie is obviously, uh, she is a big advocate for LGBTQ rights. So that could help bring her in as well. And if they're going that route, just got to throw it out here. I threw it on Twitter. Luke Evans for Hercules. It, sign me up. It is how we got Kate Blanchett. She was dying to work with Watiti. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, it looks like stars are aligning here. Yeah. I mean, Francis McDormand's in Zhao's second feature. So maybe she is a role in here somehow. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Eternals off to a pretty good start. Mm-hmm. As is the casting process for A Quiet Place 2, because THR also reported this week that Killian Murphy has joined the cast of the John Krasinski-directed follow-up that is also going to start Emily Blunt, uh, Noah Jupe, and Melissa Simmons. Uh, They're all returning. Cillian Murphy is the first. Killian Murphy. I I always switch it up. I call him Cillian Murphy. You do? See, other people call him Killian, and I'm never sure which one I'm supposed to say. So maybe I should just switch back and forth to please everybody. I, I don't think know. It's, I think I think it's a, a transatlantic thing. I think you can go with either or. All right. Uh, well, Killian slash Cillian Murphy uh, is the first new addition to the cast. Uh, I mean, he's obviously great. He's in a lot of great things. He's always really good in them. Uh, Josh, I mean, uh, this is exciting news, obviously, yes? Yeah, it, it is exciting. Like, listen, um, I loved Quiet Place the first time around. Um, Quiet Place 2, an even quieter place, mm-hmm. is going to be terrific as well, especially with Krasinski returning to direct, all yep. but officially announced. I think it I think it is officially announced. Okay. I just know the I photo think. was there, and he's like, time to get back. Right. I'm like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> Come on. Um but most importantly, he's starring opposite Emily Blunt, who we knew was coming back mm-hmm. reportedly, but this time around, like in another report with this man right. who is terrific. So I'm I'm i I'm curious now, is he the stepfather or is he the villain? Because either or would be terrific. Maybe he's both. It could be, yeah, <laughs> perhaps so. Um, because Killian is just so good at doing dark drama. And I'm, I've been shocked that we haven't actually seen him in some kind of like horror picture before, mm-hmm. ever. It's really just grim dramas, yeah. Where he sort of teeters on the edge of being completely lawless or having like a psychotic breakdown, and getting him into this uh, is going to be epic because I mean, it's working with Krasinski. He's going to be working opposite of someone like Blunt, and it should make for a great film. Yeah, depending so, on what else they do. So which which role would you rather see him take? Like, I, w- I want to see him be a good guy. The have- stepfather, the neighbor that they're helping out. Stepfather. I mean, he's just like, he's going to show up and be the male lead for the right. movie. I think it's what I'm 
okay. jokingly trying to point out here. I'm not yet. Yeah. I mean, um, you never know. You it's never know. Post-apocalyptic. You need, you need things happen yeah. fast. But I would, I'd like to see him be a do-gooder for once. Mm-hmm. Um, Peaky Blinders. He's always a grim. He's a grim character with shades of gray. Um, Batman, obviously. Yeah. Psychotic. So here, I'd like to see him at least like smile once or twice. It's very <laughs> rare we get that from him, and he's he's like. He's charismatic, I yeah. think. I mean, especially in interviews and everything like that when he's selling films. So I'd like him get to be a closer version of himself in this, obviously with an American accent. True. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Gillian Murphy is great. I don't, yeah, I don't know what role I'd rather see him take, and I, I think it all just comes down to, I think, the plot. Um, I don't. I don't really want to see Emily Blunt obviously immediately fall back into the arms of somebody else. Like have some respect for John, like, you know, let, let his legacy live on here at this post-apocalyptic universe. <clears throat> um, I have an official update from the baby names of Ireland. Oh, gosh. It is pronounced Killian. Killian. Oh, interesting. Oh, oh Killian. Oh, yeah, okay. Killian. So you are correct there. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I was wrong for years, but now I'm correct. Killian Murphy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, it makes more sense for him to be just like the neighbor, like across the farm who Emily Blunt and her family, you know, go to their aid. And then they kind of like set up shop and create like this safe house of like the safe zone mm-hmm. in this farm community. Uh, I'm really just, I really just want to know, like now that he's on board, like what, like how many other cast members are we going to get? Like, are we like, is he the only one? Are we going to get two more people? Are we going to get six more people? Because, like, the first Quiet Place was a very small cast, obviously, um, even with, like, the addition of, like, Screaming Man in the Woods and stuff. Like, <laughs> if this one, if, if we're starting off with Killian Murphy, like, as the first edition, like, are we, I mean, do you want to see them go more, like, not total ensemble route, but, like, where we're getting four or five new people, including Killian Murphy, or do you want to see it be, like, Killian and, like, one other person? I don't know. It's a really interesting choice to grab him. Like, I don't expect them to load this cast up. I think it's going to be like, I'd be shocked if we see two or three other people even added to this movie. Um, because other than that, you really, with the budget and everything else around this, mm-hmm. I mean, anyone else you toss in is going to be like, you know, a B player at, at most. Right. So it, I think it's pretty obvious that Killian is going to be the the next person this movie's about. But I'm, I don't know what else this, they're going to explore in this sequel mm-hmm. because obviously if Woods and Beck um, who were the original you know story writers on this or came up with the idea of it said that they left a lot of material on the table so whatever else they explore I guess we'll kind of jump into that mm-hmm. we're we going to see a society of quietly operating people a la like the last scene of Bird Box or are we just going to have more survive by any means necessary with the creatures even though we know how to defeat them right so whatever avenue they explore i guess we'll probably you know dictate that and we'll probably know that by casting Mm -hmm. but if it's just survive again without making any noise i think killian's the last one they add or at least close to the last that makes sense uh yeah i mean he could be just like a like a wanderer that like stumbles onto their property and they're like uh like now what do we do do we like Mm -hmm. help this dude out do we not does he like how do we can we trust him like that'd be interesting role for him to take too yeah he's the perfect like friendly but I don't know. He could go off at any moment. Right. Like, I mean, he has a wide range. He's kind of a chameleon. Like, he can kind of do it all. So, uh, whatever role Killian Murphy has mm-hmm. in A Quiet Place 2, I'll be cool with. Same here. So, we also had confirmation this week straight from Jai Courtney's mouth as he was talking to Business Insider that Captain Boomerang will, in fact, be back for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. He is the second cast member to officially be returning, and the other one being Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. So... Uh, I think he was bo- on both of our lists when we did our like big questions several months ago of like should any return like should any original Suicide Squad members return for the new one, uh, and so I'm I'm obviously happy about this that he's coming back because I think he can James Gunn can do something I think different and also a little better with Captain Boomerang than what he got in the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, but also this I think just further confirms that this isn't like a total reboot as you know they've kind of been claiming it is like you're having Courtney back. You're having Margot back. Will Smith was going to come back and they just couldn't make it work because of scheduling. Now you're still keeping Deadshot around. So like, this isn't like totally different than what we've seen before. They're just putting a the in front of it and trying to pass off something new. Yeah, I think so. Well, possibly it'll either the branding will all be there 
in a, I mean, how they brand this thing is going to be remarkably crazy when it's not a whole new cast and they're just calling it the. So that'll be like an interesting. But I, I don't remember if I wanted Jai Courtney on my list. So I think you. I feel like you did. Okay. I could be wrong. I know I mentioned him. I'm very bland on it, <laughs> but also because I there's no like his performance in that is just good. Like you know, neither bad nor terrible, uh-huh. but he's having fun in the, a movie that is not having a lot of fun Yeah, all over the place. Even with Joker and it being about a bunch of people who are crazy lunatics having fun in a uh, abandoned city, an mm. overrun city with monsters and ghouls and everything like that. So um, I don't think he'd be returning if James Gunn didn't like him or see yeah. potential. And I think with, with Gunn directing and writing, Courtney's going to have a whole lot more fun, especially, you know, pairing him with either uh, Elba or Robbie or Sharkman or whatever the case is. You know, I think those that potential mixture and concoction um, is going to make for some interesting and fun things. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So, I mean, you meant you mentioned that like his interaction with King Shark who's also supposedly in the movie uh, with Gunn bringing back, as far as we know, two main members of the original you can count it three if you include Deadshot in that mix, but we also know that he's adding like four or five other people to this. Mm-hmm. People are obviously going to die because you're not going to have a like a ten person ensemble for this whole movie. So, right. is that so? The question is like, is Gunn bringing these people back to kill them, and then use his and then let this new wave of oh. people exist, or is it the opposite? And like, we'll start off the movie with like the the new look task force x and it's polka dot man king shark mm-hmm. uh rat snatcher whatever than like the whatever the other people were yeah rat catcher um and they're like the first mission and then they all die and then amanda waller or whoever's running task force x has to then like go back to the like, original members <laughs> to like use them like wh- which way do you think we're going uh, i mean if you were um if you if you pulled slipknot back into this thing well he's I, dead so. I, I know that would have been funny and just like it, nothing matters lol type of an attitude towards it like that would have been funny to bring him back only to kill him mm-hmm. resurrect him to kill him or break continuity um but man i i've some of these characters that they picked like polka dot man and um shark man king shark sorry like all of those like those are hilarious characters that i think fit well in a james gunn film if jai courtney's being brought back to be you know swept under a bus or you know hit by a mac truck that would be hilarious too mm-hmm. but i think i think he has a character potential and that's why he's we're getting an announcement that he's back in it as opposed to swamp thing and whoever else swamp thing is not in this movie got it yeah <laughs> so like yeah all those like or the shark man crocodile man crocodile man killer croc killer croc thank you i should have known these names um so all of that like probably points to him being essential rather than just like a like you said even although that would be hilarious to have that happen yeah so so you're you so we're thinking that they come back after these all these other new people die um, or is it going to be a mixture? It'll just be like, here's the Suicide Squad. Okay. It'll be... I don't think there'll be too much team building other than like tossing in King Shark or something. It'll like be that. like, it'll be the those five characters that were reported before. I think it was five. Um, plus Harley, Captain Boomerang, and Deadshot. And it'll just be an eight team, eight person team. I yeah, think I, I, think I, that, I think that sounds right. That, sound, that, sound, that sounds doable. Yeah. Um, and obviously we have a lot of faith in James Gunn anyways, so uh, we'll have to see. I mean, there's been rumors that Joel Kinnaman could return potentially as Rick Flagg. I don't need that to happen. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, uh, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller. If you were Joel Kinnaman, would you come back as Rick Flagg? I mean, probably. <laughs> Depends how big the paycheck is. I mean, what else is he doing? Hannah, season one? I mean, that's that's over. That's done. It's mm-hmm. aired. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Hannah, season two. I guess. I have no clue. Um, but that brings us to the end of our main three topics. We'll move on to ticket or skip it here. Uh, there are a couple of trades that came out this week. Uh, even though if you only look at our Twitter timeline, there's only one listed on there. Uh, we got a first trailer for Annabelle Comes Home, the extended trailer for Brightburn, the first trailer for Mary Magdalene, and the teaser trailer for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Josh, which one is getting your ticket this week? I'm going to give it to Annabelle Comes Home because, number one, we're getting back to the continuity of The Conjuring, I guess, mm-hmm. or at least the present day, or almost present day. 
I can't quite figure out where this is taking place at. Right. Um, but the marketing is definitely hamming it up to say, Conjuring Universe, your favorite's back. Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Verifier Amiga is right there. Yeah, and so. Patrick Wilson. And Patrick Wilson, of course. So we got all of them. Like, they'll be ancillary probably in the main story. But looks dark. It looks creepy. Annabelle is all over the place. I think it's relying a little too much on jump scares in these trailers, but that's mm-hmm. what gets people to the movie. It's not the actual terror and horror that right. uh, I come to love and that we kind of call, like, the high craft that James Wan and Ari Aster have created and pioneered and are running with right now. Um, aside, it really relies on jump scares a whole lot of the way. And that was really disappointing to know, notice the second time around. But they they all really work. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like, it's like like a Spielbergian poltergeist movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, but just so many jump scares. I'm like, oh, come on. We could do better than this, guys. Um, all that said, though, Annabelle coming home gets my ticket because it looks like it's going to be like a madhouse of horrors all run by that doll. And I'm 100% here for it. Yeah, I mean, I like the cast of that movie. McKenna Grace is in there. That's right. Um, and Mad- and uh, Madison Eisman from uh, the new Juman- the last Jumanji movie, and she's going to be in the third one as well. Um, so it's, it's got a good cast. Uh, I'm going to give my ticket to Brightburn, the extended trailer, even though... Finally. Finally, I know. That's like I feel like it's time. I feel like I skipped out on it the past two times, uh, not intentionally, just more of... It was probably up against like Endgame both times or something. I think so. Uh, so it finally, had a, it finally had a good week uh, for me to give it a ticket here. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the movie just looks really solid. I'm a little scared that this extended trailer showed me the whole thing in terms of like how the plot's going to play out. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I still think it looks good and the execution looks solid. Um, and even though it's not directed by James Gunn, it is overseen by him. It is written by his like, cousins or his brothers or yeah, <laughs> some family member. Two guns uh, on the writing <laughs> credits. That's right. So I think it, it looks solid enough. Elizabeth Banks uh, looks like she's going to give a, a nice screaming horror performance here. So it's got enough visual uh, flair for me that I, I'm on board. My question to you is: before we die, uh, before we move off this, do you think in any way this movie is some kind of a satire or a, or a hidden comedy? Because no. those ending moments of that movie are staged in such a way that it looks like it's going for kind of a, a hilarious beat as he's smashing through the insides and outsides I don't of that think house. So. And I just thought that was an interesting way to have that stage i mean that is interesting but i just yeah i, mean, I can't see that happening and if that is what happens like this movie's gonna get a lot of crap for <laughs> selling people on this like it's... dark uh like twisted superman story and so it's like a, like if it turned into a like a laugh fest everybody like what not so much a laugh fest but just like it ha- will have these beats of where like you can totally you can very clearly see the writers i don't know taking stabs at Something that Zack Snyder was yelling at on Snyder Cut. I mean, I I, th- <laughs> I think you can still do that without making it like too comedic. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, the, the, all of these Brightburn trailers have been like ripping off the Man of Steel trailers of oh. from the visionary filmmaker behind Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that's exactly how you know they would market Man of Steel from the visionary filmmaker behind Watchmen or Three Hundred or whatever they would use back then. Yep. Um, and so like they're clearly going for that angle. And so I think you could do like a satirical approach to this character and like and this Superman-esque story but still do it with like a dark sensibility and not okay. making it like too comedic it just it just those ending moments I was like this looks like something entirely different so I wonder when we get to those latter parts of that movie if something changes mm-hmm. but okay I mean that's fair we'll see uh, it comes out end of May so it's not going to be too long before we get a chance to check out Brightburn uh, but that's end of ticker skip it and we'll move on to the flyby starting with a story about McKenna Grace from Annabelle Comes Home. THR reported that she is in talks to join Ghostbusters 3. And I think Jason Reitman has already confirmed this on social media as well. So she'll play the daughter of Carrie Coon, the sister of Finn Wolfhard. Uh, she's kind of blown up. She was in, obviously she's going to be in Annabelle Comes Home. She was in Captain Marvel as a young Captain Marvel. And then she was also in uh, Haunting gifted. of Hill House and mm-hmm. The Gifted. And, uh, or just or not, Gifted. Or not, not, yeah. She, what, uh, Chris Evans. Was she in Haunting of Hill House or was she, she was in uh, Sabrina? Uh in Sabrina. I don't I haven't seen Haunting Hill House, so I don't know if she's actually in that or not. 
I think I mixed that up with Sabrina. But either way, McKenna Grace is having a big moment. She's capitalizing. I think she's really talented. She's also in Itanya as the young Tanya Harding. That's right. Um, so she's really just like capitalizing on all of these roles here. So now a chance to kind of give her her own character, not playing a young version of somebody else. Uh, I'm excited to see what she can do in uh, this opportunity. She's in Sabrina and Haunting of Hill House. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So two Netflix series yeah. right there. The pipeline. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, she's terrific and gifted. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, that was the moment where, like, young Captain Marvel, like, you know, right. working with Captain America. I'm sure, like, there is, there is some synergy there. And then from that away on, rise to stardom. So it'll be fun to see her finally, like, get to be, like, a kid. Like, yeah. a normal person. <laughs> and that'll be interesting. But Reedman's, I mean... I'm surprised I'm actually like okay about this Ghostbusters movie. Now. Yeah, it's, like, it's shaping up nicely. It's it's suddenly it's becoming what I fear would become a reaction to that to Paul Feig's film mm-hmm. is just becoming a smart. It looks like it's becoming something smarter and not at all pandering right to the online base minority fans <laughs> which i thought would be the case but it's not and so i'm excited about yeah because essentially carrie coon is the lead character here as the mother so mm-hmm. so they'll toss in like kyle chandler and they're all set. oh man that'd be so good he'd be great that's a great that's a great call uh yeah kyle chandler for everything uh he's not going to be as far as we know in space jam 2 but variety report this week that star trek discovery star uh Sonequa martin green is going to be in the movie and she will play lebron james's wife in the film so uh big fan of Sonequa martin green even as somebody who does not watch star trek discovery i really know her from the walking dead where she was great in that role mm-hmm. um and so i'm excited to see her now get into the blockbusters kind of sphere here uh, i don't know how big of a budget space jam 2 is going to have but it's obviously going to be a big movie um when it comes out in 2021 so i like this move for her career i hope she has a more involved role than Michael Jordan's wife got in uh, the original Space Jam because she really doesn't have anything to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't want to see them get Martin Green just for like a couple of stay at home, you know, interact with the kids moments and then she's written off the rest of the movie. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> that'll be like, listen, obviously terrific. She has probably one of the more impactful arcs of like side characters from The Walking Dead yeah. other than anybody else who gets in there um not a part of like the big three right right daryl rick carl and that's three right there <laughs> i don't know why i couldn't think of deny Greer's name for a second um and so i haven't seen star trek discovery i'm hearing terrific things about the new season mm-hmm. um particularly her and her jumping on space jam sounds great yeah. Uh, then we got a report from Deadlight this week that uh, Sam Mendes' 1917 uh, war movie uh, got a bunch of new cast members this week, including Benedict Cumberbatch, Mark Strong, Colin Firth, Richard Madden, and Andrew Scott, just to name a few. So this movie is casting up really well. It's going to start production here in a couple of weeks, I believe, and it has a December 2019 release date already slated. So is this thing a instant kind of front runner for awards potential with a cast like this, with a war movie with Sam Mendes behind the camera. What do you think? Uh, We will see. (laughs) It's very clearly going to be an English film Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, So I don't think that it makes it like award season bait unless one of these actors is just incredible. Right. And they have the potential I mean, to be. The odds of somebody turning a great performance are pretty high, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. We, we, I mean, uh, we will see. The most exciting thing, though, is Andrew Scott in this movie. Um, he plays this ludicrously over-the-top, um, insane villain in Sh- the Sherlock series, mm-hmm. which is the only thing I know him from. Um, so I'm sorry to say, like, what all of his other great stuff I don't know about. But... I'm most excited to see him work in this. He plays Moriarty, mm-hmm. um, Benedict Cumberbatch, as you know, foil, yeah, long learning foil, and so or Sherlock's, and so getting him in here looks like lots of fun. Everybody else, terrific. Richard Madden, I'm not sold on him yet. We'll see what Rocketman does. Um, <laughs> I know, I know he's great in the Bodyguard, or the yeah. series is great, but. We'll see how he does in high Have drama. you not seen Bodyguard? I have not seen Bodyguard. Okay. It is great, and he is great in it. And, uh, yeah, maybe he's going to be Batman. Who knows? Um, but I think he, he is 
uh, star on the rise, but they also have Cumberbatch, Mark Strong, who's great in Shazam, and continues his rise right. through uh, Hollywood. Uh, I like I like this addition for him, and then Colin Firth as well. So uh, there's just a lot of nice reunions here, whether it's Kingsman and uh, Intimidation, or not Intimidation Game, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, mm-hmm. Sherlock. I mean, the crossovers are uh, insane. <laughs> so maybe 1917 is a massive crossover of all these different properties. There will obviously be a tearing edge to Campio now. <laughs> obviously. I mean, just get everyone yeah. the uh, sharp jawline. I mean, we do know that the Child's Play remake that's going to hit uh, theaters this summer has also added Mark Hamill uh, as the voice of the possessed doll, Chucky. Uh, this was announced and confirmed at WonderCon. So, Josh, obviously a big Mark Hamill fan. I think he did this movie, little movie called Star Wars. Played mm. this character named like Luke Skywalker, yes. I think is his name. Uh, you may have heard of him before, so... But he also is a very prolific voice actor uh, doing the Joker in several animated form and uh, animated stories. And it's now he's taking on an iconic role of another form in Chucky. Uh, do you like this uh, this pairing between Mark Hamill and Chucky? I love it in so many ways. Because number one, we have the Joker voice instilled in our heads. That's, that is who Mark Hamill will always and forever be. Really? Oh, yeah. When you think of the Joker voice. But when you, you think of Mark Hamill, you, that's the first thing you think of is Joker? No, when you think of the Joker oh, okay. or the most sadistic voice and maniacal thing you can think of, you think of the Joker and you think of Mark Hamill's iconic laugh. And while I don't think it's going to rise to this, this, this Chucky performance is going to rise to that level, the fact that he's returning to something where he can voice something evil and terrible and awful um, is going to be fun because I don't know what he's going to come up with. I don't know what he's, if he's going to be mimicking the original which is a little bit grovelly, but with like a high pitched squealy, right. you know, child. That's voice what I imagine. It. Yeah. So I don't know what he's gonna have for us, but I'm excited to hear it because he, like you said, he is he's fantastic as a voice actor, and whatever they come up with for this, um, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark Hamill's great, and yeah, his, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I in my mind, it'd be they went to the the high pitched, like possessed doll voice that let's just i don't know that's just like where my brain went so maybe that's where he's gonna go maybe he won't we'll find out uh this summer we also heard this week from deadline that dunzel washington and francis mcdormand are in talks to star in joel cohen's uh new movie which is going to be an adaptation of Macbeth. uh three powerhouse uh recognizable names in hollywood joining forces here josh uh is this one's going to be added to your you know watch list something you're going to be waiting to see Yes, of course. Number one, it's a Cohen brother. Mm-hmm. It's a solo Cohen. It's brother? a solo Cohen brother. Yes, no, no, no solo brother. Cohen. Yeah, brother. There we go. Which is interesting. Um, but it's also, I mean, he's he's got his wife to star in it, so that sounds right. And who doesn't want to see that? Like, I got to imagine it's a collaboration between the two of them in a lot of ways. If he's directing or not, mm-hmm. um, Francis is a terrific performer and i don't think she has any crediting writing credits or producing credits yet but i don't know we'll see like what comes out of this mm-hmm. but i'm all for it especially denzel washington that's the craziest yeah. pick it's a nice little role and for him and i'm thinking of fences particularly and how i mean the trend the, the jump is like right there but it's that idea of just long monologues right. and acting right there and seeing kind of like an american version of this will be pretty cool yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Joel Cohen's great, Denzel's great, Francis is great. Yeah, sign me up whenever it comes out. Um, I, I, I want to know a little bit more about it. Like, are they going to do, like, an updated, modernized take on Macbeth? Are they going oh. all the way back and doing a time like a, a, a time piece? Like, I don't know. I'm assuming it'll be updated in some form. And what kind of – I mean, this is a Cohen Brothers movie we're getting after all. So are we going the typical Cohen dark humor route, or are we going just more like faithful adaptation uh, that's what I want to know. If it was both of them, I would be inclined to think a modern day mm-hmm. deal. But since it's just Joel, and he's the more Shakespearean looking one <laughs> of the two, you were going back. I'm inclined to believe it could be something older. But if it's not, then who knows what this could be? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'm sure I'll enjoy it either way. Yeah, and our last story here uh, came from uh, THR, which uh, updated, uh, gave us some updates on To All the Boys I Love Before. It's the sequel uh, that was officially announced a couple months ago. We have word this week that Michael 
Fimignari. Uh, sorry if I butchered your name there, sir. Uh, he is going to take over the role as director after previously serving as a cinematographer on the first movie. Uh, after Susan Johnson, the director of the original movie, cannot return due to scheduling. So he is taking over the story here for the sequel. And additionally, the film uh, confirmed that Jordan Fisher has uh, been cast as the other new love interest, John Ambrose McLaren. I'm not familiar with Jordan Fisher as an actor. I know he was on Glee. I know he's impressed a lot of people uh, and that he has the teen heartthrob sort of thing that can maybe rival what Noah Centineo did in the first movie. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see what Michael uh, Fimagnari can do here as a director, even though I'm pretty bummed that Susan is not returning uh, to helm the second installment. But it's, yeah. I think she's still producing, so I hope she still has a lot of input to bring this one to life. Right. She's got the executive producer credit on it already. I don't know what that means. I don't mm-hmm. know what her scheduling conflict is. I can't see anything on her IMDb. I don't know. That she, said, she like, mentioned it to THR that it just wouldn't work scheduling wise. So maybe there's an announcement in the future from another property. She's going to helm Batgirl or something. That'd be terrific. Yeah, it would. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that obviously disappointing. There's not going to be some continuity. Um, and there's not somebody as exciting stepping and taking up the mantle. Right. Um, but, Netflix, the puzzle pieces seem like all the parts still seem to be in place mm-hmm. script wise and everything like that. So whatever they dive ahead for, um, yeah, I'm sure it'll be okay. Yeah. And actually, no, not Batgirl. She's going to direct Supergirl. That's, that's, that's the prediction. That would be a good one too. But we'll have to wait and see what happens with Susan Johnson, what happens with 12 the boys a little before the sequel in future episodes. Cause that's all we have for this week. Uh, next week we'll be back with another review, uh, of Shazam. Uh, which I've already seen, but I'll go in and check it out again probably next <laughs> week. Uh, Josh will be checking it out the first time. Yes. You can read my review. It's on friendshome.wordpress.com right now uh, to figure out why you should go see it and just give you a little bit of information on what's so good about it. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe I'll also give a brief update on Pet Cemetery because I'll also probably check that out next week as well. Um, so I'm very uh, excited for that. There's, the yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's heating up. We're going to hit, we're going to be in April. This is, gonna hit on april fools this is not an april fools day episode this is all legit news all legit thoughts um but uh yeah that's all we have for this episode we'll also be back this week with another big question uh doing our second to last episode of our bracket challenge that mm-hmm. we're doing in honor of march madness presented by io9's uh best sci-fi fantasy film of the last decade it's getting tough we're going to be some tough choices that are going to be made i don't know what's going to happen uh but you'll have to tune in on wednesday to find that out and then, in the meantime, be sure to touch your thoughts on anything covered by Twins after the film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode, though, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoyed listening to the show. Thanks again for tuning in to the Fun Cell Podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.